Hello, and welcome to the PaxX Podcast, now available on iTunes. This is Episode 8 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mary. Thanks. And I'm just happy that I'm not traveling right now with all the bad weather. I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I was in Dubai last last week, and uh, the weather was fabulous. And and now we're back to, uh, you know, Winter. knee deep in snow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And shoveling, which is of course my favorite activity. Um, so before we get started, uh, we'd like to thank Lumexis for sponsoring this week's podcast. Lumexis is widely known for providing its fiber-to-the-screen, fiber-optics-based in-flight entertainment system on Fly Dubai's 737s. It is also developing the system on Turkish and Transaero wide-body aircraft and working with Boeing for line-fit offerability. Additionally, Lumexis is extremely active in the wireless IFE space. Its new FTTS second-screen wireless solution allows passengers to use one or more of their own PEDs simultaneously to wirelessly access moving maps, food selection, catalog purchase, games, or any of the dozens of other server-based applications without interrupting the HD movie running on the seatback or in-arm monitors. So thank you, Lumexis. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Gavin Werbeloff. Gavin is a travel analyst and a self-described airline industry voyeur. He has also uh, written a number of really insightful op-ed pieces for the Runway Girl Network. So, Gavin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Kevin, it's nice to be talking to you again. I know you've been on the Airplane Geeks podcast several times, and uh, we yeah. always look forward to speaking with you. It's good to be podcasting to you again, Max. Fantastic. All right, well, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories making headlines this week. First, we have Virgin Atlantic. They're now getting up close and personal with passengers by having their concierges at its upper-class lounge at Heathrow wear Google Glass. Now, is this a gimmick, or is... Virgin Atlantic really onto something here. Oh, Max, I have to say, I, when I read this, I, I, I immediately thought gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love the idea of, um, you know, personal interactions, real interactions. We're so connected anymore. You know, we're so plugged in. I, I mean, I, I wrote the other day on Facebook, I really do feel like I'm becoming part of the machine, you know? Um, half machine, half woman, uh, because, you know, we're, we're online all the time. And now, now we have the likes of Virgin Atlantic saying, okay, we're going to even take it a step further. And, uh, and, and nothing, you know, nothing against them, but it just, it, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the love on this one. Well, how about, what do you think? Google Glass seems like a really incredible tool with searching for great uses, and I think BA, uh, British Airways, talked about doing something similar where it recognized its high-value customers. I think for those two airlines in particular, uh, something like this does make a little more sense because all of their high-value uh, passengers are flying out of one airport and are concentrated in one place. So if, if you're talking about is this something adaptable to the U.S. market, I really don't think it is. But we'll see what they come up with. You know, BAS announced their program, I'm trying to remember, I think it was about 18 months ago. And we didn't really hear much of it after that, although they did uh, successfully implement iPads on board to help with uh, 
sort of passenger management issues and let the cabin crew know who's on board, if there are high, any high-value customers, if there are any passengers potentially misconnecting. Uh, and the outcome of that has been very positive. Well, I think there's a couple of things that could be going on here. One is that Virgin Atlantic could just be trying to, to be hip uh, and use the latest technology. Another way to look at it, though, is that maybe what they're trying to do is enhance the experience by personalizing the customer interaction. I mean, this is this is kind of an extension of an old technique in, in business where customer interaction is important. You, you capture in your electronic Rolodex or however you do these things, personal details about your client, notes from the last interaction, the spouse, children, birthdays, things like that. And then you can use them in the conversation. Well, what Virgin is doing here, I think, is is trying to provide information about their customers, their flyers, to the concierges in a kind of a real-time scenario so that they can look and act like they are having a more personal experience, more personal interaction with the customer. I I think that it's kind of interesting. Well, they could do that via a tablet, though, too, right? I mean, like just like as British Airways is doing. Um, so the Google Glass is, is just, as you say, I think it's, it's kind of going for that hip. And, in cor- and of course, they've also mentioned that, and, and, and Virgin Atlantic is quoted in this article, actually, that, that we're discussing, um, that, that they feel that so many tr- people travel now. Um, and there's a lot of low-cost travel, of course, as well. So many people are traveling that, they're, that it's lost the luster and, and the sheen has worn off for those premium customers. So what do you do creatively to give them something a little bit more? Um, I get that. I get that. It's just... um, I think their heart's in the right place, but um, Google Glass definitely has, uh, with certain uses, the feeling of Big Brother. Yeah, I guess that's it. I, I think you probably hit the nail on the head right there. It, it just, you know, what what are you looking at? What are you seeing of me? And <laughs> do you see that video from 2007? Oh, dear God. <laughs> Maybe I won't be allowed to sit at the bar now. Um, you know, who knows? Who knows? I guess uh, it's, it's that area is a little concerning. Although, you know, it, it should be mentioned that, um, so, of course, um, airlines are looking at all sorts of ways of, of using this technology. And, in fact, um, Lufthansa Systems, um, about a year ago, said that they were looking at how to use Google glass with respect to in-flight entertainment. Um, So I I think that we're going to see some very, very creative things rolled out here in the coming years. And I guess props to Virgin Atlantic for, uh, you know, taking a leap and and this pilot program to personalize the experience for its premium customers. Um, But yeah, I guess personally, I'm, I'm with you there on that. Big Brother, Big Brother is Yeah, here. privacy does come up with these things a lot. And Gavin, you noted that British Airways has some difficulty with its uh, approach to using Google Images uh, to identify passengers so that they can personally greet them. Uh, but there is a little bit of backlash associated with that on the privacy issue, isn't there? Yeah, there, there was. Uh, people were not happy with the idea of uh, the airline ready to identify them on site when they showed up at the airport it makes everyone a little nervous yeah i i used to be a pretty strong privacy advocate and then i got over it i think i I heard the phrase you know privacy is dead get over it and (laughs) in many ways that's kind of true i mean if we try to dream to the old days back to the old days where privacy was something that we took for granted i think those days are 
leaving us pretty rapidly. Well, anyone who opts into social media, <laughs> anyone who opts into social media cannot make a complaint about privacy. I'm sorry. That's right. You know, I mean, my, my father, I grew up, um, you know, with a father who was always preaching about Big Brother and, uh, you know, the, the end of the world is nigh. And then when he got on Facebook, I said, that's it. You, you have no right to discuss this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You know what I think it, it really... You notice both Virgin and BA were focusing on their premium passengers, and you know we've really seen a, commoditiz- a commoditization of the economy class travel, and it just seems, you know, very 1920s cruise ship esque, where you've got the first class passengers known by name and on sight, and hello, sir, how are how are you, sir? Good to see you again, sir. And the economy class travelers are self-loading freight. <laughs> right. That's and true. I think that <laughs> dynamic is something that is something that makes people uncomfortable. I, I, I'm definitely not comfortable with the idea of of an airline knowing more about me than my flight history over the last you know year. And I and I joke that the most I ever expect from an airline is benign neglect. Uh, <laughs> but if they recognize me on site, um, it's not going to feel authentic. This is a massive company. You recognize me on site? Well, you've got a picture of me. Of course you recognize me on site. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Good point. It, it doesn't feel authentic and it engenders a sort of class stratification that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Hmm. Gavin, you're you're in the bottom of the you're in the back of the bus. <laughs> you're in the lower rung of the Titanic. Get used to it. <laughs> That's right. Well, let's move on and talk about uh, something, another topic, another Virgin brand, Virgin America. And Gavin, you recently wrote an op-ed for Runway Girl Network that references them. And you've done some data mining and concluded that Virgin America faces some very serious challenges ahead. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that piece you wrote. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I I love Virgin America. I think um, they've done more than any airline flying today in the United States, they've done more for the passenger experience and stopping the race to the bottom among the major carriers in terms of onboard amenities. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, they, they've picked some really tough routes to be their backbones uh, between Kennedy in LA and Kennedy in San Francisco. And it's where the big boys have brought their latest and greatest products. And uh, they've also picked up they also picked up some Newark slots and are f- serving those two West Coast markets out of Newark. And they're facing some really tough challenges in both markets. Uh, on the traditional transcom between Kennedy and LAX, uh, we've seen American introduce brand new uh, planes. They're, they're slowly filtering in to uh, their, their schedule. New A321s with 10 first-class, proper international-style first-class seats. 20 live flat business class seats and uh, another 72 uh, economy and premium economy seats in the back. JetBlue has also added A321s, which will be uh, outfitted with, I believe, 16 of their new Mint live flat product, which is the first time we've seen uh, JetBlue go anywhere beyond the economy and economy plus uh, market. Delta has added live flat seats and an economy plus product. And that just leaves Virgin America who uh, are left with their A320s and A319s 
with a recliner closer to an international business class step type product, but not at the same level of the uh, of their competitors with full lie flat products, uh, and then their economy plus and standard economy seats, uh, and you know from a revenue generation side, it's very difficult for them to charge a premium fare in line with what their competitors are when their premium product is not a full proper lie flat seat. Um, that part is fascinating right there, Gavin, in that, you know, you, as you said, they set the standard on Transcon. They set the standard um, with their in-flight entertainment system, their in-seat power, their in-flight connectivity fleet-wide, um, the holy trinity, as you say. And they set the standard. And, of course, everybody, uh, you know, in this very competitive market saw the writing on the wall, realized that they had to step up. The amount of premium capacity that's coming into the market here in the next few months is pretty staggering. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the, the overall numbers between LAX and JFK are, um, are, are shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing uh, by the old schedules uh, all in, we had uh, uh, old schedules and old aircraft uh, configurations. We had 162 first-class seats a day, and that was between Americans' uh, wide-body 767-200s and United's old configuration PS 757s. You had another 600 uh, business class seats, none of which were lie flat, with the exception of a couple oddball uh, Delta flights. You're talking about maybe six percent of overall business class and uh, and first class seats were full blown lie flats. Eight hundred seats in each direction of economy plus, and then another thirty seven hundred, uh, almost thirty eight hundred uh, economy class seats a day in each in each direction. And that's shifted. So you've had a total of 5,300 seats. That's going down to about 5,100. But your overall um, premium share of that market is growing uh, because the new aircraft configurations, particularly Americans' new uh, configuration, slashes economy class uh, and economy plus seating rather drastically. Uh, they were going from roughly 130 economy class seats per plane to only 72. Uh, mm-hmm. And with 12 flights a day, that's a lot of capacity taken out of the market. And you're also seeing a greater percentage of uh, economy plus going from 800 seats a day to 1,100 seats a day in economy plus. So you're really seeing a push towards the premium side. Interestingly, yeah. American is going to be the only only carrier offering a dedicated first class experience um i know as Virgin, defined right <laughs> as, as as defined as an international style first class seat right, um, right virgin virgin america uh took some issue with our description of their of their seat of their seat as a, a business class product Correct. um but it, it's more than a domestic first but uh just under a international business class seat, and so we gave them the benefit of the doubt and put them as an international business uh, style product. Yeah, Max, do you ever fly Virgin America? Uh, I do not. I haven't had the opportunity, unfortunately. Wow, wow, we've got to change that here, um, especially if Gavin is right that that this is a gazelle that's about to be taken down by a pride of lions. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
you know, before, but I, I would hate to see this brand, uh, anything happen to this brand, to be completely honest with you. I absolutely love Virgin America. I think mad props due to this carrier for setting the standard. Um, I do agree with Gavin that it faces a lot of challenges. Um, of course, there's a couple things that it is doing um, in the near term to try and compete. Of course, JetBlue in addition to bringing this mint product uh, on board, is has launched um, high-capacity in-flight connectivity via the Live TV and Viasat KA band satellite-supported connectivity solution. Um, and that Say that is, 10 times fast. Yeah, right? <laughs> Sadly, I probably could in my sleeve at this point. But in any case, um, the uh, but that is, is posing, uh, is going to pose some serious competition, not just to Virgin America, but also to these other airlines. So you have the likes of American Airlines, for example, uh, that is bringing a hybrid KU uh, air-to-ground system on board. It's their uh, new narrowbodies. That's the plan anyways. And, uh, and then you have Virgin America itself that has said that it is going to be the launch customer for this go-go ground-to-orbit uh, hybrid ATG-KU system uh, that, uh, that will hopefully give it the capacity it needs just from a connectivity standpoint to compete. But it has made no indication that it's going to change its actual um, seating. And that's a very, very big question mark. Um, now, maybe they'll surprise. Aircraft Interiors Expo is around the corner here. Maybe they'll surprise, but it would be... Uh... It's going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got, they've got their A319s and A320s. They only have eight of those premium seats to begin with. Right. And um, from an operational perspective, they are very expensive to operate. Those seats, in terms of cost per hour to operate, really... Are, are on a par with Deltas and Americans and United's PS seats in, uh, on a cost basis, but from passenger comfort and marketability standpoint, they're just not there. Hmm. And so on the JFK LAX uh, legs, they, um, they've got a really tough sell and, and really compressed margins on those seats. And on from Newark, the the other the other aspect of this whole of this whole puzzle is that United is moving to thirteen seven thirty seven eight hundreds a day between Newark and LAX, and their operational costs are so low, it's very very difficult. Where you know Virgin offers a better premium product than United on that route, but. You know, United's coming in at fifty-four dollars per per seat hour uh, on their premium product, and Delta uh, and and sorry, Virgin America on their A three twenties, which they're operating, are at eighty-four dollars per seat hour on the premium product. That's a really, really difficult gap to bridge. Don't you think that the, maybe a near-term solution, stopgap st- solution perhaps, until they start taking delivery of their new A320s in uh, 2015, uh, would be to perhaps add additional um, extra legroom product on their aircraft, space things out a little bit more, make a little bit more of a premium offering on their own aircraft now without having to bring brand new seats up front? What do you think of that? That could, um, that could definitely help. They're still at uh, a pretty sizable disadvantage on a cost per seat basis, premium economy to premium economy, or sorry, economy plus to economy plus. They're not a true premium economy product. Right. Um, And so by making them more economy plus heavy, main cabin extra heavy, they will offer passengers, you know, better better options, uh, but they're going to be increasing their cost per seat hour uh, on those seats 
at a, in a position where they're already at a cost disadvantage. Hmm. The demand drivers, I think, uh, make it very difficult. And, and this new move by United is, is relatively recent. It's only been in the last year that, that, that they've decided to, to do this. Uh, they're, more than, they're almost doubling their capacity on that route on a, on a daily basis. And yeah. you have to think that they have Virgin America uh, squarely in their sights by doing this. Oh, yeah. And let me add that they, too, are bringing the, on those 737s, they're bringing the, that live TV high-capacity KA solution as well. So you'll have both JetBlue and United just from a connectivity standpoint now. Um, this is becoming really important. <laughs> it is. People are now booking based on their, the, whether or not they can connect. Um, and now, you know, we've had a number of complaints lately about, about you know, certain systems. And it, it is a factor. So now you'll have, you know, not only this level of premium capacity, you're also going to have the connectivity situation improving for some carriers. Um, and I think that might actually have a nice effect for the, ca- the carriers that are not switching because it'll open up uh, capacity on GoGo system, which is really stressed between New York and L.A. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, <laughs> Gavin. You know, the, it's, uh, as, as you get closer to Los Angeles, there's just, it grinds to a halt. I know. Well, they're working very, very diligently to improve that situation again with this GTO and hybrid KU. Um, but they've run into, you know, particularly with the latter, they've run into some issues with, and I think we've talked about it briefly in the past, but the FAA's heightened scrutiny of bird strike testing of antenna radomes, which gets into the weeds, lads, but it is really having an impact not on just GoGo, but also Panasonic and anyone trying to bring, uh, you know, satellite supported connectivity over KU or KA to their aircraft. Although we can expect another announcement here out of uh, live TV in the very near term where they're passing these uh, tests with their new antenna uh, radome from General Dynamics. And um, they're now really thumping their chests about the fact that they're ahead of the game. And it just goes to show you how competitive the whole thing has gotten. More flying chickens. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, let's dive into a couple of things coming out of Washington, D.C. recently, uh, both involving personal electronic devices or PEDs on board aircraft. The FAA has issued a final rule disallowing pilots from using PEDs for personal use in all operations. And that's something that goes back to a requirement from the FAA Modernization and Reform Act of 2012. And then also we see the House Transportation Committee has passed legislation that seeks to ban in-flight use of cell phones for voice calls. Mary, I know you've been following <laughs> these developments. What's the latest? Well, um, just very, very quickly with respect to the FAA decision, as you say yourself, this was not uh, an unexpected action. Um, it kind of codifies actually a lot of rules that were already in place, but it it uh, reinforces the issue because um, back in 2009, uh, you know, those two Northwest Airlines pilots that overshot Minneapolis by 150 miles, you know, the, the, the reasoning given to that was that they were working on laptops, on crew scheduling uh, on, on their laptops. Um, and that really got legislators uh, worried, um, and uh, and so they they felt the need to 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 kind of make this a little bit more of a hard and fast rule. What's really interesting is that pilots are logging on to Wi-Fi with their own personal electronic devices right now, and they're not supposed to. And um, now you can get fired for doing that. 
um, and, and engaging in personal activities with your own PED, but it is happening. Um, somebody mentioned on Facebook yesterday that I thought was interesting. You know, if any of these airlines really want to track that, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult to do. Um, I would think that now that the FAA has made this very, very clear pronouncement that airlines uh, need to make sure that their pilots are not using their own PEDs for, for personal use. Um, so that's one side, one one issue, um, the PED issue on 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 the Hill. But then the other, of course, is the House Transportation Committee's decision to to move this legislation forward on banning the in-flight uh, use of uh, cell phones for voice calls. And again, that is not necessarily unexpected either. But what is surprising is that it's coming from the Republican camp, um, which are supposedly interested in a free market. I find it amazing that they want to legislate manners in flight in this way. Gavin, what do you think about these two topics? Well, I think from pilots and PEDs, that's one thing that came to mind was we've seen so many carriers move to electronic flight bags that are powered by iPad. And what I wouldn't I, I don't know how that plays into the whole the whole thing, but I would hope that those have their Wi-Fi disabled, and so that the only way they can connect to networks is via a 3G connection on the ground, which is much uh, more securable by the airlines than having them connect to any Wi-Fi they choose to. Uh, and also, I think while on a transcon, there's a lot of time that the pilots really aren't doing much. I like the notion that our pilots are giving their undivided attention to flying the plane, even if that means they're sitting bored while onboard systems are controlling much of the much of the uh, the action. I want them either you know talking to each other or looking at the looking at at the screens in front of them in on the flight deck. Um, and from the voice call side, ha- having been on airplanes sitting on the ground waiting to take off, still sitting at the gate, and people on their phones, the unawareness of their surroundings uh, that I have observed amongst people you know, taking phone calls on airplanes amazes me. And I have to think that in this country, I, I know it's been mm-hmm. available on Emirates um, for a while now, and we haven't heard any complaints, but I have to think that it won't take long before something gets out of hand and someone does something stupid and we see uh, air rage because the person sitting next to them won't shut up on their cell phone. But do you think that would come about uh, regardless of whether the U.S. Congress decides that you can't make mobile phone calls uh, in flight or the airline decides? I mean, who gets to decide? I, I don't see the U.S. Congress really as having a legitimate role in, in making that decision, let the airline decide. That's a very airline. interesting federalism uh, argument you make there, Max. And, and I'm not a Republican, <laughs> by the way. Just I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> Max. Well, I have to say that um, it should be the airline's uh, decision. Absolutely. That's an airline choice to, to decide whatever service and let, and, and let passengers uh, exercise with their wallets and their voices. That is 
the true open market that, that the Republicans claim that they are for. Um, the reality is that a number of U.S. carriers have already said adamantly that th- while they don't believe that this is something that should be legislated, <clears throat> they personally would make the choice not to allow it. Now, Delta Airlines is a perfect example of a carrier that is very actively preventing car- uh, passengers right now from making uh, v- voice over IP calls. Um, so, uh, you know, in its contract with GoGo, if they're if they find anybody using uh, you know, using uh, VoIP, if using Skype, or finding a way around the system, GoGo has to uh, immediately work on a, on a way to to prevent it. So, I, you know, I, I, again, I think it should be the the airline's choice. <clears throat> I get what you're saying, Gavin, in terms of, and I find it fascinating that again, Americans are considered so much ruder than everybody else in the world. I'm I'm not entirely so sure about that. I was on a Qatar Airways flight last uh, week, and um, I met a, a, some very rude passengers on board, and <laughs> even had a had a near I wouldn't say air rage, but an incident in flight that, um, you know, I thought to myself, well. Yeah, there's already tensions are already rising. I get that, but I think airlines ultimately should have the choice in in this matter. And you know what I think it is. The the other side is that we in this you know in this country we are not as good at turning off. And I have to think that someone's employer would mandate that they be reachable at all times, and you have to leave your phone on to be available when you're in the air. You know, we're, we're already always on. And increasingly to, so. And increasingly so. I think, I know as someone who spends a lot of time in the air, knowing that I can't make or take a phone call, uh, that that time is sort of off limits to anyone else. I have a lot of, you know, ex-business school classmates who are consultants, and I'm not sure they would be very happy with the idea of their employer being able to reach them while they're on a plane. Uh-huh. They they spend enough time traveling around for work as it is, you know, the elite status and the frequent flyer miles that come along with it are uh, a perk of the job. You know, there's sort of some extra compensation for always being on and doing what they do, but um, I think that they would not not be happy with it. Well, just very quickly, I think it's a very quaint notion, Gavin, but times are changing and our children see connectivity in a totally different way than we do. Um, and they don't see voice calls as the devil. So maybe these artificial barriers will remain in place for now, but I would give it a few more years and things are going to change. But in any case, that's my opinion. And uh, we're unfortunately rapidly coming to a close here. I want to thank our listeners. Things have been cooking with gas. Really appreciate it. Remember, you can find us online at www.runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience or news that you see about the passenger experience. It's getting really active, that hashtag, and it's really exciting to see. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Lumexis, and I'd like to thank Gavin Werbeloff for being our guest. Gavin, where can listeners find you at? I am available on Twitter at at Travel Buddha, T-R-A-V-E-L underscore B-U-D-D-H-A dot com. Not that. <laughs> All right. Do you have your own website as well? <laughs> um, not for uh, not for anything aviation related. No. Oh, well, maybe you should change that, Gavin. Find, you can find me at, at Runway Girl Network. No, oh, fantastic. Very You're good. At the PaxX Forum. Thanks a million. 
All right. Thanks for listening. And please join us again next week as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Podcast.